Hey, what's up, everybody? Grady Show on Dirt coming to you live from the Sweet Bee Studios. Today is Saturday, August 31st, 2019. I am your host, Quentin, a.k.a. Q-Dog, a.k.a. the Pop-Tart King of the South. <laughs> I'm running on a couple cherry Pop-Tarts this morning, man. I'm feeling good, right? I'm feeling sugared up, you know? Um, my heart's beating really fast, which is either my adrenaline or a sign that I need to go to the gym because heart health needs to be a priority. I don't really know, but I do feel like I do feel like a little bit of Michael Scott off the office when when it's pretzel day and him and Stanley are waiting in line and Michael's like so pumped to get a pretzel. Right, you remember this episode? I love it. Then he gets to the front of the line and he's like, Is it possible I could get everything on the pretzel? And the guy's like, The works, you got it. So Michael eats it, gets on a super sugar rush, listens to jock jams, which is phenomenal. Do you remember getting jock jam CDs when you were a kid? Holy crap, I remembered them. I felt like I would listen to Jock Jams on my Sanyo CD player, and then I would go outside and pretend I was Michael Jordan shooting like a last-minute fadeaway. <laughs> I love Jock Jams, dude. Honestly, I might buy a Jock Jam CD now and like go to the gym. I would feel really good about that. But then he crashes and falls asleep and drools on himself, which is usually my afternoon anyway, so it's, <laughs> it's pretty par for the course if you see me at 2 p.m. drooling on myself half asleep. We're good, man. Um, we're rocking. I'm fighting a cold right now. You know what I mean? I got the illness, so I'll try not to sniffle too much in the microphone. But I'm excited to talk baseball. You know, I couldn't really resist it. And, you know, here I am. I'm telling myself I probably have all kinds of dumb stuff to say, so why not share it with the world? All right, let's get to some. Well, actually, really what's got me. Oh, I got to be careful with the way I say this. My wife is out of town for the weekend, right? And I don't want to say that I'm excited about it, you know, because that sounds really mean if I stay on the air and I'm like, I'm so excited my wife's out of town, but, you know, the words, hey, don't pee in the front yard, I'm not going to hear them once this weekend, <laughs> so that's pretty exciting for me, you know what I mean? She tells me that, she goes, Quentin, you can't pee out in the front yard with the dog because at nighttime, when I'll always, my dog's Brody and he's a black lab, uh, best dog that ever lived, you know, he's been given that award. And I'll take him out to pee at like 11 o'clock every night before bed. I want him to pee as late as possible. I want him to be comfortable. And at 11 o'clock, I generally have to pee as well because I like to pee before I go to bed. So I'll take Brody outside to pee. And, you know, we live on a corner lot, so it's not really hidden. <laughs> and Brody will pee and I'll pee, right? So he'll just lift up his leg and pee. And then usually I've got like some Under Armour pants on so I don't have to unbutton or unzip and I'll just sort of like pee on the bushes like against my house, right? I'm not like peeing in the front yard so people can see my privates and I pee in the front yard and the first time I did it, I told my wife, I was like, listen, like Brody goes outside to pee and I just pee as well and it's a great feeling to pee outside because you don't have to like lift up a seat or anything like that or wash your hands. You don't have to wash your hands either so that's a good thing and she's like, you can't do that. We live in the city, right? Like, you're, the neighbors will see you, and I'm like, well, if they're looking at me, I think maybe they're perverted, you know? And so now, like, all weekend, I'm going to be in the yard with Brody and feel really good about that. And so that's a pretty good deal. Um, also, Roadhouse. Roadhouse is on Netflix right now, and I'm going to watch that thing. I'm going to do 24 hours of Roadhouse as soon as I finish this podcast, like they do with Christmas Story, right, on Christmas Eve on TBS. I, I'm going to do that with Roadhouse because Roadhouse is definitely that good of a movie to where you could just watch it on repeat, you know? And so I'll watch a little bit of Roadhouse, 
you know, I'll feel like Dalton. I might go like karate chop and like kick some people in the face. And do you remember on Roadhouse, like that big four by four that the really rich guy in town has who runs the bar that Dalton's trying to clean up and Dalton's got to beat people up. Right. And he's just like, he's this mean, he's not a mean guy. He's like this yoga Zen type dude who can beat people up, but he has like a doctor degree from Harvard or something like that. It's a really big deal. And then he also has a love interest because Dalton is staying at a friend's house um, in the garage. Right. So that's a good thing, you know? Which I always found weird because when you see, like, people on movies and on TV, like, they never sweat, right? All summer I've been sweating, like, 24-7. I don't know how these people look this good on TV, right? But either way, Dalton's just beating people up and he looks good doing it. But Patrick Swayze, though, is, like, an all-time – I mean, he's an all-time actor, right? Like, Point Break, when he plays Bodie. Oh, dude, Point Break. Keanu Reeves, Johnny Utah, that. Dude, that's one of my favorite movies of all time. I always sort of go like Point Break, Roadhouse, Days of Thunder. Non-baseball movies, right? Field of Dreams is in there as well, but it's just because I have a baseball podcast like doesn't mean I'm all baseball stuff, right? Because I'm pretty sure this sounds super sacrilegious, but like Days of Thunder, I like Days of Thunder better than Field of Dreams. Like Days of Thunder is a really good movie, and as is Roadhouse, you know, because, you know, I'm just like... I don't, again, like, I don't have to watch HGTV this week, right? I love Chip and Joe Gaines, but I'm just, I don't want to watch it this weekend. I don't want to watch any of the Real Housewives of whatever county that they're in, you know? And these are great things because I can just watch Roadhouse 24-7. No one's going to fight me over it. It's great stuff. I love my wife. I don't think she listens to the podcast, but if she does... If there are any marriage counselors out there, uh, <laughs> just send me a message. Um, what else am I excited about this weekend, dude? I already went to McDonald's. I've got this crazy McDonald's addiction that I've developed. And it all, like, okay. I remember when I was a kid, all I wanted in life was to go to McDonald's. It was like every day I woke up as like a five-year-old. I would just be like, yo, I want to go to McDonald's today. Like, how do I figure this out, right? Because going to McDonald's when you were, like, five years old, because I was born in 83, so, like, 88 McDonald's was legit, dude. You would get, like, the toys and, like, the really cool toys, like the little hamburger and the chicken nugget thing, and then you would get a Happy Meal that would, like, turn into something, and you would get a Batman toy with it, and it would be legit. Like, what was it? In 1992 when the Dream Team came out? Oh, my God, I got a Dream Team basketball and, like, the Dream Team cups. Like, they were amazing, and that's all I wanted to do. And I remember specifically telling myself, like, in the fourth grade, I was like, when I get old enough and get a job and become rich, I'm going to McDonald's every day of my life. That's all I wanted as a kid was, like, McDonald's. I just love to eat, dude. And I just realized recently, like, yo, like, I work 40 hours a week and I get a paycheck that's over like $500 when, you know, like eight year old Quentin would be like, that's so much money. Why aren't you going to McDonald's? And can we also go to Chuck E. Cheese, right? The Chuck E. Cheese thing's a little weird because if I go to Chuck E. Cheese by myself, like that's creepy, but to be able to go to McDonald's. So I went to McDonald's yesterday and I was like, I'm going to go to McDonald's because my wife doesn't eat McDonald's, right? She eats healthy, right? I don't. So I was so excited, dude. So I go to McDonald's. I'm looking at the menu there. I go to the drive-thru and they're like, can I take your order? And I'm just like, you got to hold on for a few minutes, man, because I'm soaking all this in because I'm like, oh my God, like, what do I get? And so I got a hamburger 
I got a 10-piece chicken nugget with two things of sweet and sour sauce. Honestly, I could use three, but two works. Um, and then I got a large fry, which was ginormous, dude. And I ate all of this McDonald's, and it was so good. It wasn't healthy. It's probably not even real food, but I love McDonald's. And I think, you know, my eight-year-old self somewhere out there in another dimension is like, thank God, Quentin, go to McDonald's, dude. Get McDonald's breakfast, and then get McDonald's lunch, and then get McDonald's supper. And just explain things to your doctor later. You know, you don't need to tell your wife. Your wife's pregnant, so she's not going to notice the weight gain. And that's what I keep telling myself. I can just eat all this McDonald's, and she's not going to notice the weight gain. And I'm probably going to go to McDonald's today because it's just so good. So definitely, well, as we figured out, my wife's out of town. So the things I'm doing, you can tell this podcast has great aspirations. I'm going to watch Roadhouse for 24 hours. I'm going to pee in the front yard, and I'm going to eat McDonald's for every meal. That's my day. Also, I consciously put every toilet seat in the house up. My house has three toilets, which is way too many toilets to have, but it has three toilets in it and it has three full bathrooms. And uh, not to brag, but like, you know, there it is. Uh, the greatest show on dirt, right? And um, <laughs> I, I, I went around, dude, and I put every single seat up, man. And it feels good just to walk in a bathroom. And because I'm not going to be outside during the daytime, right? That's going to get me arrested. Yeah, people won't like that. So, like, I just, every seat's up, and I can just walk in and just do my thing. And I don't have to lift a seat up, and I don't have to, like, wipe a seat off. If I pee on the floor, who cares? Like, who's going to stop me, man? It's a free country, dude, honestly. And I, and I feel good about it. I do, you know? But I love my wife as well because um, she cooks a lot of good food, and I meet McDonald's. It's only a matter of time before the McDonald's catches up to me. All right, that was a 10-minute intro. Woo! Let's get... Let's, I'm going to play some intro music, so crank up the bass on your car right now. I'm going to play the intro music, and then we're going to talk about some baseball, dude. Here it is. All right, what's up, everybody? Let's get to let's get to some baseball stuff. Okay, listen. Last week I was digging around on the internet, you know, looking at baseball stuff like I do, and I came across this story about this guy named Ray Caldwell, and Ray Caldwell was a Cleveland Indians pitcher in like the early 1900s, like around 1919, right? And as it turns out, in 1919, during a Major League Baseball game. Ray Caldwell of the Cleveland Indians was pitching against the Philadelphia Athletics, right? And he was pitching in the ninth inning and was one out away from a complete game. And he got struck by lightning, knocked down, completely knocked unconscious. His chest had burns on it and got up and finished a complete game after he got struck by lightning. 
whoa, this is wild. And this really happened, right? Like the Hall of Fame website, the Sabre website, they really have this on their webpage, right? So what happened is there was a reporter on the scene that sort of outlined some of this, right? And he wrote about the story the next day. And he said that the lightning like struck the middle of the field, that it was so bright, it was like blinding. And it struck the field, struck the pitcher's mound, literally lit Ray Caldwell up, burned his chest, and it basically electrocuted everyone on the field, on the baseball field, right? The catcher, the lightning strike was so powerful, the catcher's helmet and mask flew off. And then the third base coach, his hat flew off as well. Dude, Ray Caldwell was laying on the pitcher's mound, looked like he was dead. Folks thought he was dead. His shortstop tried to run towards him, but fell down because his legs were numb. Because all the players on the field said that they could feel the electricity come up through their metal spikes, go up one leg and down the other. Everyone on the field had an electric current. That It was crazy. There were fans in the stands that said they saw like electric current in the guardrails. This whole stadium was struck by lightning. So the shortstop, his legs are numb. He can't check on him. He falls down immediately, right? And then, like, the catcher makes it to Ray Caldwell, the pitcher. We'll just call him Ray from now on. And they're, like, slapping Ray in the face. Like, Ray, man, wake up, dude. And Ray gets up. So he's like, what the heck? So Ray stands up. He's able to stand up. The catcher touches Ray and jumps because Ray has an electrical current. It's like a 9-volt battery when you put it to your tongue, but way worse, right? And... He said that Ray was crackling with electricity, right? So Ray, he like, he checks his arms. He's like, checks his body. He's like, I'm alive, right? So let's finish the game. And he retired the last batter of the game on a ground out. On a ground out. I mean, at this point, Craig Kimbrell, healthy, can't even finish a game barely. You know what I'm saying? And this guy got struck by lightning and did it? This is a whole another level, man. Like, players these days, it's always sort of been said that, like, Major League Baseball players might be, like, a little weaker than, like, football players or basketball players. You know, with the exception of Max Scherzer, who pitches after he looked like he got in a bar fight. But, like, no disrespect to Yadier Molina. In my opinion, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. But just to put this in context, he was on the injured list for, like, eight weeks with a strained thumb ligament. Right? But Ray Caldwell gets struck by lightning. Like, that's impressive. Like, pitchers these days, they go out with, like, blisters on their fingers, right? Like, my old man put a nail through his hand one time and just, like, took it out and covered it with duct tape. You know what I mean? They just don't make them like they used to. They don't. Right? Like, hamstring strains. People be leaving games and going out for, like, six weeks, dude. The guy got struck by lightning. He had burn marks on his chest. Lit up, dude. And then all these guys, like... Afterwards, that was the crazy thing about this is afterwards, everyone like felt like they had an electric current through their body. It was like they were all X-Men now, right? Because like something drastic happens to you and you become a superhero. It was crazy, dude. And I just can't believe like they kept playing the game because there were fans there that were like, there's electricity in the guardrails. And they were just like, let's keep playing, I guess. You know, everyone's alive and their, you know, their body parts are still together right that was a huge deal but players said that they could feel the electricity going up one leg and down the other they felt it they felt it in their body 
is unbelievable. But impressive to even go through this game nonetheless. You know what I'm saying? Like, I remember a couple years ago, Brandon Morrow, he hurt his back and was on the injured list for like six weeks because he pulled his back putting on a pair of pants. Putting on his drawers, sprained his back. They don't make them like they used to, man. They truly don't. They truly don't. It's unreal. But that was... uh. That's crazy business, man, to get struck by lightning, you know? Like, I got picked up by a tornado once. I swear to God. I swear to God I got picked up by a tornado once. It was in Illinois. That's where I'm from is Illinois, right? And there are a lot of tornadoes that come through Illinois, just like they do in Cleveland. And, man, I think I was, like, in fifth grade, so it was probably, like, 1992, right? By 1992. And the sky outside, it, like, starts to go really green. And it's like, yo, there's a storm coming. There were, like, tornado watches. And probably there was even a tornado warning. I don't know. But when you live in Illinois, like, the tornado sirens go off. And you pretty much just keep living your life. Like, if I'm in my house playing Zelda on Nintendo and the fire and the uh, tornado siren goes off, like, don't interrupt my game. You know what I'm saying? If I'm in it in Contra and I'm just blasting folks, like, don't interrupt my game. And that's how it lived, right? But what was different about this time is all of a sudden, you could hear this loud freight train. It sounded like it was coming up the road, and that's the noise a tornado makes when it's on its way. So my mom's like, we got to get out of here, right? And across the street is where my grandparents lived, and they had a basement. So we were like, well, we got to go to the basement. We're going to die. You know what I'm saying? I'd watch Twister. Right? Twister was a phenomenal movie. And honestly, I felt like I was Helen Hunt on Twister. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't feel like Bill Paxton, but, you know, I liked Helen Hunt's character in the movie, so whatever, get off me. So we go outside, dude. My dad and my brother, they're together, and my mom, my mom has me and my little sister. So my mom's holding my sister with her left hand and me with her right hand, so we're running, we're running down my driveway, right? And my dad's truck is parked in the driveway. So while my mom's running with me, all of a sudden, I get picked up. I get picked up like a foot off the ground. I kid you not. And I grabbed the side mirror on my dad's truck and pulled myself back down and then just kept going. It was so windy outside you couldn't even breathe. But that happened to me. I got picked up by a tornado. And so I sort of know how Ray Caldwell feels. And in a sense, I sort of feel like Ray Caldwell because I got picked up by a tornado. And then when the tornado was over, I kept playing Contra. And it was phenomenal. You know what I mean? And I felt like a real winner at that point. But I also felt like I had been through stuff. You know, everyone wants to go through stuff. And uh, I didn't get any powers from it. You know what I mean? I'm not like, um, I'm not Wolverine or anything like that. I didn't, I'm not like Tornado Man. I wish I was. But that happened to me, man. And that was the real deal. And Ray Caldwell lived to see us. Ray Caldwell lived to the ripe old age of 80, dude. Yeah. Crazy, right? But I'm pretty sure a shortstop died the next year from a beanball. That's crazy. There have been a few guys in Major League Baseball history, only like one or two that died from actually getting hit in the face, and that's really dangerous. That's why guys wear helmets now and stuff like that, but a lot of pitchers now, man, pitching seems almost like it's just more dangerous than ever because everybody throws 97, 98, 100 miles an hour. It's like everybody has a 100-mile-an-hour reliever in their bullpen. It's wild, but that's how, you know, that's how people get to the major leagues. You know what I mean? Kyle Hendricks was like a she like a 15th round draft pick or something like that and if you th- if you can throw like a hundred like you're gonna be a first round pick and make millions of dollars and that's a lot about how um 
why so many guys now throw so hard and there aren't a lot of like finesse pitchers like there aren't a lot of Sean Maniah's out there there aren't a lot of Kyle Hendricks out there there aren't a lot of Brett Anderson's out there and Brett Anderson is a pitcher for the Oakland Athletics who got the Yankees who defeated the Yankees last night and got them to ground into so many double plays and so many ground ball outs it was impressive could not believe it and there aren't a lot of those guys out there and it's I I, I think it's because that that's just sort of where the money is. Kyle Hendricks was an eighth rounder. It's not bad, but he was an eighth rounder. You know, I'm not complaining about it, dude. I love fireballers, right? Like my favorite pitcher of all time. Well, my two favorite pitchers are probably Nolan Ryan and Greg Maddox. And they're definitely two different pitchers for sure. And I think there's, I just like, I like to see finesse guys come up because I like to see the differences, right? I think it's really interesting to see a guy that can go up there and really carve folks up at 88 miles an hour. But then when Jordan Hicks goes up against Mike Trout though in 105, I mean that's a that's probably one of my favorite matchups this baseball season to have actually seen. Um, but I would though let me get to I guess we'll get to the next topic and talk about the Oakland Athletics. Right, so the Oakland Athletics are sort of like my team to watch this week to keep an eye on. Right now, I think. Let me go to ESPN.com. I've got the wild card standings up, but let me refresh them because I think these are from last night. Let's check this out. Okay, so the Oakland Athletics, they're not really going to win their division because they're in the same division as the Houston Astros, and it's pretty late in the season, and the Astros, I think, have like a nine-game lead. And Justin Verlander's doing his thing at the age of 36. It unbelievable season Verlander's having. Also, they got Zach Granke, who's having a really good year as well. And then you have Garrett Cole. And as it sits right now, really, like your best one-two punch, I would say in all of baseball, is Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander. You don't want to have to face those guys in the postseason. But they're so loaded in offense and starting pitching, obviously. The the athletics probably aren't going to catch them. But right now, basically the Two of these three teams are probably going to make the postseason. So the Tampa Bay Rays now are one game out of the wild card. But the Oakland Athletics, they're in the wild card. And then the Cleveland Indians are the first place AL wild card team. And they have a half game lead over the Oakland Athletics. But a lot of this success comes from the success of the Oakland A's starting pitching. It's unbelievable. So I'm going to go over... What was it? So the Oakland Athletics are in a series right now with the New York Yankees, and they won last night. I think it was 6-2, to two, and Brett Anderson pitched for them last night. And Brett Anderson's a guy that's sort of like dealt with injuries his whole entire year. I think he's probably in the 32-year-old age range. Okay, I'm going to look at his – we're going to get up his box score last night. Okay, Brett Anderson is 31, so he'll be 32 in February, right? And this is a guy – he's got a career 10 war. He actually started his career in Oakland but dealt with, like, a ton of injuries. The Cubs had him for a little while, and at the point when the Cubs had him, he had, like, an 8.18 ERA, and then he went to Toronto and had about a 5.13 ERA. So in – I mean, in 2017, he only pitched 55 innings, but this year, in 2019, he's thrown 156 innings. He has an ERA plus of 107, which means he's 7% better than your average pitcher, and he's 11-9 with a 404 ERA. 
and Erdy has a 2.5 war this year. He's only under contract this year for a million and a half bucks. So this was, uh, you know, a value that the Oakland Athletics found. And the Oakland Athletics also, like, ended up getting Homer Bailey, who signed, I think, a league minimum contract this year with at the beginning of the season with the Kansas City Royals. And then the Royals dealt him to the Oakland Athletics. And... Homer Bailey would have, like, some good starts and some not good starts. Like, he still carries something like a 5 ERA or something like that. But starting with Brett Anderson, his start last night against the Yankees means that the Oakland Athletics have beat the New York Yankees the last four times that they've matched up. It's unbelievable right now. Brett Anderson was able to go out last night, do six innings, 86 pitches, two earned runs against a New York team that slaughters baseballs. Um, so he faced 26 batters and got 17 ground ball outs. I saw him at least force three double plays in games where in situations where like there were multiple runners on base, like not just a runner on first, but like runners on first and second with no out and would consistently pitch clutch and get this New York Yankees team to go into, you know, double play mode or whatever, right? And, you know, force these guys into double plays, force good hitters into double plays. Guys like Gary Sanchez, Didi Gregorius, stuff like that. And so they beat the Yankees last night 8-2, to and then it was like maybe a week ago, they swept the Yankees. They beat the Yankees three games in a row. At home, and they sent Homer Bailey, Mike Fires, and Tanner Roark to the mound. And those three guys defeated Domingo Herman, who's like a leads the American League and maybe all of Major League Baseball in wins. Mike Fires beat J.A. Happ, and Tanner Roark beat Masahiro Tanaka unbelievable games right now. Homer Bailey's had at least a couple good starts against the New York Yankees to where he was, you know, able to, you know, go five, six innings, not strike out a lot of guys and really pitch to contact. And I think that's what a lot of, you know, the situation is with the Oakland Athletics is they just have pitchers that can sort of pitch to contact and pitch good. I'm going to go over some of these stats real quick. Maybe you can see what some of these guys are doing, right? Um, let me get to the starting pitchers real quick. Okay, so Mike Fires. This I'm excited about this Oakland Athletics team, and I want to tell you why they think they'll be, why I think they'll be good. And a lot of it has to do with their starting pitching. Like Mike Fires right now, he's age 34. He's won 13 games with a 3.40 ERA. Brett Anderson is really good at pitching to contact right now. They got a guy named Chris Bassett who's 30 years old. I'm not really too sure where this guy came from. He's 9 and 5 with a 3.67 ERA. And then they also got Liam Hendricks, this Australian guy who's closing games for him right now, and he's a stud with a 1.53 ERA. It's pretty dang good. And then Homer Bailey like right now with the Oakland Athletics still carries like a 5.52 ERA, but Homer Bailey is legit a sour patch kid. He'll come out his ERA is so high because if he has a bad start, he'll go out and pitch like 3 innings and give up 8 earned runs. But this guy will come out and he'll get legit starts. He's had a couple starts this season against the Yankees where he's went five, six innings and 
struck out a couple guys and maybe allows a couple runs, and he can really go out there. Tanner Roark is a guy that they got Tanner Roark from the Reds. Yeah, Tanner Roark was a Red this season. And Tanner Roark has a 330 ERA with the Oakland Athletics, man. So one thing about this team is it's like they have all they have like this motley crew, right, of starting pitchers that they sort of just plucked from all these different places and they're here, man, and they're pitching good. And a lot of what I like about the Oakland Athletics is their system, right, and how these guys come out here and play, you know, where if I look at Brett Anderson and he doesn't do good in Toronto and can't really do good in Chicago, but he gets to Oakland, and it's because in all of Major League Baseball, I feel like that the Oakland Athletics have one of the best systems in Major League Baseball. We always talk about, like, the New York Yankees, right? They have the New York Yankees have a really good system. The Tampa Bay Rays have a really good system. But the Oakland Athletics have a phenomenal system, I feel like, that just lets players go in and be themselves and succeed. And whatever they do to develop these players or, you know, put these guys in situations where they can succeed, right, the Oakland Athletics do a really good job of it. And you're seeing it with Mike Fires. You're seeing it with Brett Anderson. You're seeing it with Chris Bassett. Liam Hendricks, like these guys are just doing well, man. Tanner Roark, Tanner Roark even had a really good start against the Yankees. Like I had said, he had um, he was part of the sweep. And I think today, when the Yankees and the Athletics play, I think Homer Bailey is pitching today. And I'm going to be interested with this series because this series is at New York, so this will be a huge start for Homer Bailey just to figure out if. He can really control the Yankees in you know the short porch of Yankee Stadium because Yankee Stadium is a hitter's ballpark. So it's going to be a pretty telling start for them. But I do feel like, man, if the Oakland Athletics, they're going to have to play a wild card game, okay? Because they can't. I don't believe that they'll win their division because the Houston Astros are just too strong. They're going to go to a one game playoff. And if they played the one game playoff, they would probably end up playing the Cleveland Indians if the season ended now, right? That's where it would go. And the Cleveland Indians right now have Mike Clevenger, who's pitching out of his mind. I believe Corey Kluber's going to come back before the season ends. And then they've got Shane Bieber, who turned, who took the loss last night. So I'm recording this Saturday, which is August 31st. He took the loss on Friday against, I think they're playing the Kansas City Royals. But Shane Bieber is sort of like the real deal. He'll come out and give you six, seven innings, strike out some guys, and walk one to none, right? He's a damn good pitcher. And it it this if we get this wild card matchup of the Indians and the Oakland Athletics, it's going to be a hell of a matchup. I would assume that the Indians would probably send Shane Bieber to the mound and probably put him up against Mike Fires, you know, and that's sort of how that would look. And I mean, it, it'll be a pitcher's duel for sure. And I think you know a lot of your classic, really good, like wild card matchups in the past have been sort of like pitchers duels like Noah Syndergaard and Madison Bumgarner in 2016, Jake Arrieta and Garrett Cole in 2015. I mean, phenomenal matchups, right? But I like the Oakland Athletics, dude. I like what they're doing with their system, dude. Their their offense, man, they actually... So Steven Piscotty's hitting pretty well this year, but he's been injured a couple times, so things aren't really going that well with him. And Stephen Piscotty will usually play right field for him. Chris Davis has been on the IL a couple times. He also just had a kid, so he missed a few games. Ramon Laureano, right, he's the Oakland A center fielder. Like, he's the stud that makes all the wild catches, right? And last year he was – last year is what put him on the map because he made a ton of really good catches. And this year 
He has a phenomenal glove still, but he's hitting, dude. He's got 21 homers and 58 ribbies. He has 126 OPS plus and an 853 OPS, dude. Ramon Laureano's a guy. He's he's a all-star caliber center fielder. Where if this guy's bat like continues to stay, he's 25. He's from the Dominican Republic. He was a 16th rounder by the Astros in 2014, right? He's only he's making just about the league minimum or whatever, but he's a damn near three-win player right now. And he's hitting the ball, and he's got a damn good glove. Actually, last year he wasn't a bad hitter, to be honest with you. And this is a guy who's, you know, he's on the map as probably one of the best center fielders in all of baseball. Phenomenal arm, phenomenal glove. And so, but those guys are injured, right? So there's a guy named Mark Canna who, I think Mark Canna's 30 right now. He was drafted by the Florida Marlins like in 2010. Dude, really, I mean, he was, Mark Canna was drafted, I think, when he was like 20 in 2010 but didn't actually make it to the major leagues until 2015. And he's been, he's sort of like a league average hitter pretty much, but now filling in because like Piscotty and Ramon Laureano are down, the Oakland A's shoved Mark Canna into center field. And all of a sudden he's hit 23 home runs and has a 941 OPS. He's, he's been at least since the beginning of August, one of the best hitters in all of major league baseball is Mark Canna. And this Oakland A's team, it's a reason when you look at Mark Cannon, you look at the system of the Oakland A's and say, damn, Mark Cannon, he can he can play defense pretty well, but he's just hitting the ball, man. And it's just a damn good system over there. Jerks and Profar never really found his way in Texas. He's been hitting the leather off the ball the past month. Marcus Simeon, elite, elite league shortstop right now. He's He's a well above average hitter. He's, I've got him on my fantasy team. He's always racking up points. As a shortstop, he's got 25 home runs right now. Marcus Simeon does. He's damn near a six-win player right now. Marcus Simeon is. He's definitely coming in his own. He was originally a Chicago White Sox. And the White Sox, oh, I think he went from the White Sox to the Oakland Athletics when the Oakland Athletics had Jeff Samarja. So... The Oakland Athletics sent Jeff Samarja over to the Chicago White Sox and got Marcus Simeon, who's their starting shortstop, who's elite right now. They got Josh Fegley, who's their catcher that they're currently using, who's a pretty damn good catcher. He was actually a a player to be named later in the trade. And then they got, I don't remember, oh, I can't, I do not remember the exact trade. There was a third person they got who's in this lineup who's contributing was it Matt Olson, Robbie Grossman? I don't remember. I feel like it was a pitcher. But I can't tell you which pitcher it was. But either way, it was like this Jeff Samarja trade for the Oakland Athletics is doing damn good. That was it. I just looked up the trade. The White Sox, they traded away Marcus Simeon, Josh Fegley, and Chris Bassett. You know, Chris Bassett's one of the young kids right now who's throwing strikes for these guys, 9-5 and five with a 367 ERA. And that's just sort of like what the Oakland Athletics are doing is, you know, making smart trades and getting studs, man. They got a guy named Frankie Montas who got suspended for some sort of steroid or something, some performance enhancer. He was having a really good year with like a 270 ERA. He comes back at, I think, the beginning of September, but he can't play in the postseason because you fell at steroid test. You can't play in the postseason. But I I look for them, man. You're going to see a damn good wild card matchup with these guys. Hopefully, Hopefully they make it. At this point... 
Like, I've always been a Tampa Bay Rays dude, but at this point, I think I'm pulling for the Oakland Athletics. If I had my pick of AO wildcard, it would be the Oakland A's and the Tampa Bay Rays. <laughs> and you get to see Charlie Morton pitch in a wildcard game, which I want to see so bad because Charlie Morton, dude, Charlie Morton is having a phenomenal season. Charlie Morton has been probably the best value in all of the entire offseason. The Tampa Bay Rays signed this guy for two years on a $30 million contract, and he'll be 36 in November. So this whole entire year, he's pitched at the age of 35, and he's having the best season of his career. He's got a 4.2 war right now, so he's an elite pitcher. As it sits right now, he's made 28 starts over 165 innings. He is striking out about 11 guys per nine. He's averaging less, and this is one of the most important stats. He's averaging 0.7 home runs per game, so less than one home run per game, which is huge because guys are getting just slaughtered with the long ball. Like Justin Verlander's home run per nine, I think, is 1.7. Like any runs Verlander gives up, it's all it's all by the home run, dude. Um. What else is there about Charlie Morton? He's got um, home run to fly ball, 10.1. He's got an ERA of 3.11, and that's just after having a bad start at Houston. Houston pretty much smoked him or whatever. And, I mean, this guy's really – I mean, he's just putting up huge numbers. He's putting up career highs in a lot of numbers. And it's always sort of a question like, you know, what's this guy doing? Like, I wanted to know, like, what was going on with Charlie Morton, sort of what his history was. And he was drafted by the Braves. I think he was sort of like a late-round guy. Not really. Third round by the Atlanta Braves. He got drafted out of high school, right? And he had, like, some pretty decent times going with the Braves. And then ended up, you know, actually, he was only with the Braves for one season and didn't do well. And so he was sent off to Pittsburgh or whatever. And he had probably, I mean, he showed signs of greatness in Pittsburgh. But by the time, like, his his last year with the Pittsburgh Pirates, like, it wasn't good. And he, this guy's like a sinker baller, right? So he wasn't striking out a lot of guys. He was striking out about five guys per nine inning or whatever. Five to six dudes per nine. He was a sinker baller guy. So, you know, his nickname was Ground Chuck in Pittsburgh, right? So he's a ground ball pitcher, dude. And with Charlie Morton, man, he was just like, if I a lot of times if I do my job and I force these ground balls, but the ground ball finds a hole, it's like, I did my job, but I didn't do my job, right? So as it turns out, though, by the time he got to the end of his time in Pittsburgh, he just like was like, I'm just going to start throwing harder, right, and see what happens. And his his velocity went up right so he started sort of relying more on a fastball and more on a curveball and less on a sinker ball and and it truly worked and so he ended up getting traded he was injured i think in pittsburgh of his last season he signs a free agent contract with uh, the philadelphia phillies and they end up cutting him because he gets um oh no i know what it was charlie morton was a pittsburgh pirate he got traded to philly and through about 17 innings with the Phillies and then got hurt, had like a bad hamstring injury. But in that little window he was pitching, his velocity was up and his strikeouts were up. And the Houston Astros noticed this, right? So he misses the rest of the season as a Philly and becomes a free agent. And Houston's like, hey, we want to sign this guy because we see sort of like what's happening. And as it turns out, Houston signed him in 2017. So 2017 was the year that the Astros won their first World Series. 
And that was actually the first year Charlie Morton was actually good, right? And if you remember in the World Series Game 7, Charlie Morton closed that game out with like five innings of one-run ball. So, and that was all at the age of 33, dude. So Charlie Morton, man, he is like a single-barrel whiskey that smells like gasoline and leather, right? He is just this guy that he just gets better with age, dude. Like, this dude is a man's man, bro. He be pitching. He's he's like a lot of old school up there, man. He'll go up there, and he's going after you with the fastball, but the pitch he uses the most really is his curveball. I saw this thing the other day. He struck a guy out on a curveball, and the ball curved so hard, by the time the guy swung at the ball was in between the hitter's legs. It went between a hitter's legs, and... He struck him out, dude. It's unbelievable, man. And Charlie Morton's having that season right now where he's in Cy Young contention all at the age of 36. And I know that Trevor Bauer said like a couple years ago that he thought that all these Astros pitchers were really good because they were doctoring up the ball, right? And they had some sort of like stick em stuff because spin rates are going up and things like that. Well, as it turned out, a USA Today reporter published a story on Charlie Morton like last week, right? And they asked Charlie about it. They said, what goes on down in Houston, man? Like, how's everybody like, how's everybody pitching so damn good? And Charlie Morton truly said it was the system. He's like, they do use a lot of data. They're really good at using their data. And Charlie's main takeaway from working with Houston was like, they believe in you. And they do a really good job of letting you know that like you should believe in yourself, you know what I mean? And they're just really good at coaching the player, right? And it's just that their system is just damn good. And I think that's why they've got Aaron Sanchez down there pitching well. Justin Verlander's pitching well, and he's 36. Charlie Morton right now is a how did I say Morton was? Charlie Morton's 35, about to turn 36, and he's pitching good. And he's not even an Astro anymore. You know what I mean? And let me look up what I've got this article about what Charlie Morton said about what Houston does. That's so good. But what Charlie Morton had done when he was in Pittsburgh, his season was going so bad. He sort of just got pissed and was like, honestly, like there's really no other options for me. I'm just going to try to throw harder and sort of like just try to throw as hard as I can. And that's what he started doing. And what Charlie Morton said about the Houston Astros is he said sort of going into Houston, he said they just sit you down in spring training and they go over what you should do, like what pitch you should use more and here are the reasons why you should use it more. And Charlie Morton said when he got to Houston, man, he just started thinking of himself differently, right? And I've always said it. I think anyone that's played any sort of athletics can tell you like so much of you know, how well you do on the field has to do with how well, you know, you believe you can do, right? It's always like Mike Tyson said he would try to, when he would punch someone, he would try to punch their nose through the back of their head. (laughs) And he really tried to do that, and he obviously knocked a lot of guys out. But that's what Houston did, man. They told him, you know, how to utilize the stuff better, you know, what pitches to use, sort of like pitch sequencing, sequence, pitch sequencing, and things like that. And, I mean, they got him to pitch good, and he's taken that to Tampa Bay, and now Tampa Bay is sort of, like, benefiting from it. But I always thought it was weird that Charlie Morton only got the two years and $30 million in the offseason. But I think Charlie wanted to go down south to Florida 
or whatever and pitch you. I think that's where he wanted to be at because I think Charlie Morton only lives like 45 minutes from where the Tampa Bay Rays play. So that's sort of like one of the reasons I root for the A's as well because what you see in Charlie Morton, man, and is just a really good baseball story of a guy who's just like a normal dude, man. He's got a family. He's pitching like garbage. He's not feeling good about himself. Just decides to start throwing harder than gets involved in a Houston Astros system. That's really good at finding out what players can do. Like the Astros have Jordan Alvarez right now, who they got in a trade. I don't even know if he was the centerpiece for the trade or even thought as highly then as he is now. And he's just pounding home runs. And Jordan Alvarez is one of the best hitters in Major League Baseball right now. Pedro Martinez said if he had to pick one pitcher or... Excuse me, Pedro Martinez said if he had to pick one hitter that like he didn't want to face in like a game-deciding situation, he said Jordan Alvarez. He's a damn good left-handed hitter. He can hit for power. He can hit for average. He can put the ball where he wants. I mean, he's, just, he's a good, good hitter. And it's so much, I feel like, why the Astros are still in contention, right? Like the Astros made the postseason in 2015 as a wildcard team, didn't in 16, and then 17, 18, and 19 have been nothing but successes, right? And when you look at, like, the Kansas City Royals, you know, they went to -to back-to-back World Series, but their window was pretty much over fast. The Chicago Cubs, their window's pretty much over fast. But then when you look at teams like the Dodgers and the Astros, you're like, damn, like, those are some really good systems. And you can also say this sort of the same thing about the New York Yankees right now. Because, you know, they've got guys in their lineup like Mike Talkman, Mike Ford, Gio Urshela. Like, who are these guys? You know, but they're hitting really well. And it's like... Guys put on that Yankees pinstripe jersey and like they take on a different sense of like who they are as athletes and like the confidence is just there and they really believe they can get the job done. And that's what Houston's doing right now, man. They're sort of, I guess they're probably, I, you know what? I don't know who's going to go to the World Series. <laughs> I'm trying to figure that out right now on the spot. I can't, man. They're obviously, I think, my favorite if I had to pick an AL team where I'm like, they're going to go to the World Series. Like, I assume it's going to be the Houston Astros. I, I think it's going to be the Houston Astros, right? And in the National League, like, I don't know if anyone can stop the Dodgers. So, I think most people's pick for the World Series is the Astros and the Dodgers. And in the American League, if it's not the Astros, it's for sure going to be the New York Yankees, you know? And... So I was thinking the other day, I was like, well, I know that either the if you took the Astros, the Yankees, and the Los Angeles Dodgers, no matter what, two out of those three teams are gonna make the are gonna make the World Series. I would imagine most people will believe that. Okay, so let me think about this for a second, because there's always time for me on the podcast to have a bad take and be incorrect on picking a team, right? So if I look at those three teams, the Dodgers, the Astros, and the Yankees, two of those teams I believe are gonna be in the World Series, but if we had to pick a fourth team that's not the Dodgers, Yankees, or Astros to go to the World Series, who would that fourth team be? Who's the wild card team, right? And first, let's I'll, I'll, let's let's try to do two teams, right? So let's first look at the American League and say, okay, in the AL, if the Yankees and the Astros don't make the World Series, who's the other team? What American League team could possibly make the World Series over these guys? I sort of maybe have an answer for this. It might be a little crazy. Gosh, why is my computer moving so slow? Goodness gracious. Um, 
if the Oakland Athletics make the wild card and they play the one-game wild card playoff and they beat the Rays or the Indians, whoever they have to play, right? The Oakland Athletics would go, would play the ALDS against the number one ranked team in the American League, right? Because if you have the best record in your league when the postseason comes, you'll play the worst team. Right now, the Astros and the Yankees are tied. They have the exact same record for best record in all of baseball, for that matter, but definitely in the American League. And there's a decent chance that the Yankees and the Oakland Athletics would have to play each other. I don't know why I'm talking so slow. I can't think. Right? And I can tell you this. What we're watching right now is the Oakland Athletics have beat the Yankees four games in a row. And their pitching matches up pretty well against the Yankees hitters as far as pitching competitively to them. So if the Yankees don't go and the Astros aren't there, I sort of possibly believe that the American League representative to go to the World Series this year could be the Oakland Athletics. I I believe they can do it. Right? They've got the pitching that's there, like I said with the starters. They've got a bullpen that's decent and at times has been really good. Like Blake Trinan isn't having as good of a season he had last year. But that has to still be there, like what he can get done. Lou Trevino's been a reliever that's been good. Liam Hendricks is a closer that's pitching really well right now. And I think that your team coming in for all the reasons that I said, like Simeon, Canna, Matt Chapman, dude, they've got a good defense. Jerkson Brofar is a pretty good defender, and his bat's coming around right now as well. Top to bottom right now, I mean, they got a guy, Seth Brown, who's got 10 hits in his first five Major League Baseball games. Dude, there's a lot of excitement in Oakland, and I do believe if it's not the Astros or the Yankees and there's some other AL team that makes the World Series, it could very well be the Oakland Athletics just because of what they bring on hitting, man. You know, everyone's hitting good right now. Matt Chapman's definitely been in a little bit of a funk, I think, offensively. And, you know, I would say them for sure. I would worry that, like... They would have an easier time, I think, getting by the Yankees than they would the Astros. And I do think the Astros will end up being the number one seed anyway. I I do. I think they'll end up with the best record in all baseball and in the AL. But the Oakland A's are my wildcard team. Now, if I go to the National League, this one's a bit tricky, man. So if somehow the Dodgers don't make their third World Series in a row, who's your team, right? You have the Atlanta Braves. The only thing that gets me on the Atlanta Braves is their pitching. So I sort of just don't know. I like the Braves' offense. I mean, who doesn't? But the pitching sort of makes me nervous. The Washington Nationals, that actually might be my team. If the Dodgers don't make the World Series, I believe it would be the Nationals. And if I'm not mistaken, I think the Nationals have the best record in baseball over like the last two or three months. And it looks like the Washington Nationals, since the All-Star break, They have the seventh best record in baseball. Really, truth be told, shoot, since the All-Star break, the Nationals are 28 and 16. The Dodgers are 28 and 17. That's crazy. But you know, the Cardinals are 29 and 15 in that mix. The Astros and the Yankees have both won 31 games. So those are your best two teams record-wise since the All-Star break. The Indians have the third best record in baseball post-All-Star break, 29 and 18. Actually, the Cardinals at 29 and 15 because they've lost less games. Um, So 31 and 15, 31 and 17 for the Yankees. 
But the Nationals are in that mix, dude. 28 wins. They've only, I mean, at 28, I mean, shoot, the Athletics are 28 and 15 since the All-Star break, with the Nationals being 28 and 16. And those are those are top teams, man. So the Nationals, I, don't, I honestly I wish I had their win percentage. I don't. But that's what you're looking at right now. The Nationals are 28 and 16 since the All-Star break. The Astros are 31 and 15 since the All-Star break. So if that tells you how well the Nationals are playing post-All-Star break, it's a pretty good deal. Sort of with Max Scherzer, right? He's missed some time, but that might be a good thing because it sort of forced him to, I guess, rest up for October, right? And he's coming around. He's not pitching like five, six, seven innings yet, and he's not pitching over 100 pitches, but he's getting there, and his starts are productive. His last start out, he struck out more guys. And then you got Corbin and Strasburg, dude. So what's happened with the Nationals, if you have, you have Max Scherzer, Patrick Corbin, Steven Strasburg, all three of those guys are having really good seasons. And then Anibal Sanchez, dude, who they signed on a free agent contract. The uh, Atlanta Braves had him last year for, like, super cheap, and he's pitching better this year than he did last year. Anibal Sanchez is the real deal who's pitching really good right now. So I guess, yeah, my second team has to be the – the Washington Nationals, right? So if the Dodgers don't make it, the World Series in the National League, I'm going Dodgers, man. I mean, shoot, what did I just say? If the Dodgers don't make it to the World Series in the National League, I'm going with the Nationals. I've honestly picked the Nationals to go to the World Series, I think, like the last two years, and I've been wrong every time. So it's probably my fault that they haven't made it to the World Series because I'm pretty good at jinxing things so that's sort of how that goes but starters wise dude like these guys are pretty legit like Steven Strasburg he's got a 363 ERA 171 innings pitch for Steven so he's going deep into games Corbin's got 168 innings Scherzer's got 142 innings just little Anibal Sanchez over here he's eight and six with a 380 ERA he's he's very very productive right now and when you got starters like that, you might, you truly might not have to rely on your bullpen as much because Strasburg, uh, Scherzer, and Corbin can go deep into games, man. A hundred percent can do so. Um, starting with the bats, dude. There's this we, there's this very, very impressive throwback one-two punch that the Nationals have right now. They're batting Trey Turner number one and Adam Eaton number two. I watched these guys in a game against the Cubs like last weekend, and Dude, it was small ball, speed, steals to a T. Very 1980s small ball play, and I loved every second of it. Trey Turner leads off the game, gets on base with like a single, steals second. Adam Eaton gets on base with a button single. All of a sudden, Trey Turner's on third, and like five pitches into the game, all of a sudden, Trey Turner scored. Adam Eaton's at second, and the Nationals are winning one to nothing. Dude, Trey Turner and Adam Eaton at the top of the order are huge when it comes to working with speed and making stuff happen. Trey Turner can get on base and can move. Adam Eaton's fast enough. Adam Eaton can bunt a guy over. That Trey Turner, Adam Eaton, dude, it's like the Rockers. Shawn Michael and Marty Jannetty, man. They play with speed. Super impressive. Anthony Rendon, MVP candidate. Anthony Rendon, if the Nationals make the postseason, Anthony Rendon will be and should be your National League MVP this year. 29 homers, 107 ribbies, 1031 OPS. He guy's slugging 619 with a 412 on base and batting 333. These are all huge numbers, dude. Juan Soto, 
at the age of 20 is having a season like he's just grown and matured at the age of 26. But he's still a kid, still has a 960 OPS. Victor Robles has some work to do. But, dude, he's got a 751 OPS, so he's not really quite a league average hitter yet, but it's there, dude. Huge stuff right now. Huge stuff. But Adam Eaton and Trey Turner, man, watch out for those guys because they can get on base, they can play small ball, and they can force runs in just by their athleticism, man. So that's what I'll say, man. I'm going to close out the podcast on that. My wild, like my wild card, wild card teams that aren't the Yankees, aren't the Astros, aren't the Dodgers, are the Washington Nationals and the Oakland Athletics. Catch you guys on the next episode. Until then, thanks for listening. Have a phenomenal weekend. Take care.